Hello all and welcome to Security Coffee House. I am not your usual presenter, um, but James is safe and well, he's on the call, uh, but he is actually part of the mentoring squad from BeerCon 2, which is why I am hosting this panel discussion today instead. So BeerCon 2 was a uh, rookie conference. So all of the speakers were rookies, but we actually had a lovely handful of mentors to help us along the way who are on the call today. And this is actually a bonus episode, I believe, of uh, talking about BeerCon. Uh, so I have volunteered myself <laughs> to host and uh, ask our mentors questions as they come in. Uh, so to start off, what I'll do is I'll just ask the mentors to introduce themselves and to answer the question of uh, how they got into uh, mentoring at BeerCon 2. So I will start off with Dave. I'm Dave McKenzie, so uh, I run managed services at Quorum Cyber, uh, a security firm. How uh, did I get into BeerCon 2? Um, mostly the beer farmers, so I, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of met them at a conference and then during the the fun that has been the pandemic and the lockdown, we all got together and started drinking on a Friday night and became InfoSec happier. And so ultimately it kind of grew from there. But yeah, I spoke at, at BeerCon 1, which was mostly how did you get into security? So I'm going to jump that. I'm going to really rock that question when it comes around because I've done that before. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, yeah, that was it. I mean, the, the, the then when BeerCon 2 was announced, I, I kind of reached out to people I knew and said, you should go and talk. Uh, and then when I when they said, hey, can anybody help? I said, yeah, and I became a goon. And then I became an overflow mentor uh, because literally people were saying, hey, how would I do this? And so I ended up just spending my evenings on Zoom sessions, uh, calming people down and saying, actually, this is really good. This is sickening. And just remember and breathe and drink water, which is pretty much uh, the, the stock advice. Amazing. Thank you, Dave. Um, Sam, if you would like to go next. Awesome. Hi, um, I'm Sam Humphreys. Uh, I am security strategist at Exabeam. Uh, how did I end up here? <laughs> I was going to say bribery, but um, that's not true. The truth is the beer farmers were amazingly helpful with B-Sides Newcastle, of which I am a, an accidental organiser. Um, so the least I could do was come and help with this. So, uh, yeah, it was... It was payback that was never requested as such, but um, and it's been a joy. So yeah, <laughs> through accidental organising, I'm now an accidental mentor. Excellent, wonderful. Uh, Claire, if you'd like to go next. Yeah, I'm Claire. I'm currently a product marketing manager at Tenable. I got into this um, because I saw the call for BeerCon 2 and I saw that it was specifically for rookies. And so I reached out to the organizer saying, hey, being a rookie is hard. If any of them need help, let me know. And then through that conversation, I kind of threw out the idea of like, I could even just do like an hour long session because asking for help can be really tough. So why don't we just make a voluntary session where people know they'll have access to a mentor and they don't have to you know, take that initial step of initial contact. And that spun out into a really cool group presentation webinar type thing with all the mentors where we just kind of talked about our experiences and took uh, questions and comments and concerns from the group. It was, it was a super cool experience. 
Thank you, Claire. Yeah, that, that session was really cool. It was really nice to know that we were in safe hands and that we had people to turn to if we had any questions. So thank you all. Um, let's see, moving on. Zoe, do you want to answer that question again? Yeah, okay. What was I have to start with introducing myself. Uh, hi, I'm Zoe Rose. And what do I currently do? I technically I think I'm a consultant um so I do security stuff um <clears throat> I've been in the industry for over a decade which makes me sound so much cooler than I am um but um I also do a bit of writing which probably is not as exciting but um uh, how did I do get into the mentoring bit um specifically for Bearcon 2 I, I I same with Claire I um saw uh that they were announcing Bearcon 2 um I was a part of Bearcon 1 so I was quite excited because I wanted to see you know what they were doing this time because the first time was so cool um and the same it was the same uh, situation I saw it was all um new people and so I just pinged uh, one of my friends that's uh, a part of the uh, beer farmers and I said you know is there any support that I can provide um, I do enjoy doing mentoring I think it's probably one of the best parts of my job um, and so I said you know let me know if there's any you know peer review for the slides or some calls or something that I can support it with and they're like yeah okay let's um let's get you to join and then I joined that very big call with uh, Claire and um, Sam and everybody and that was quite fun where we chatted about our own failures and things that work for us and things that maybe don't work for us so much um, and it was yeah it was really good and then the same with Dave you know ha having those individual calls where people were like hey I did my slides or I've got my talk let's run through it and it was really cool because it went from somebody joining being a bit shy uh, and then by the end of it they were quite a bit more confident and then when they did the live like actual talk it was absolutely brilliant and looked probably better than any talk I've given so good job for them <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Zoe. And uh, James, uh, I don't know if you need to introduce yourself, but if you'd like to give us a few words and tell us how you got involved with BeerCon yep. yep. I'm normally the host of Coffee House and it makes a real nice change not to be for once. So I'm going to try and keep this bit running with other hosts. But I actually can't remember how I ended up getting involved in BeerCon 2. I remember right at the start, I saw this post go up about it and I grabbed a couple of people who I've been helping out now and then with advice and said to them you should submit something and then at some point later on someone and it might have been one of the mentors or it might have been one of the beer farmers approached me and said there's this mentoring session happening and so I ended up getting involved in that and it just went on from there but for the life of me I can't remember who that was it was all so long ago now and I do I mean, Zoe stole my line. I do security stuff. Uh, it's very non-specific. I just do bits and pieces of security and I'm gradually working out which bits people will pay for. Excellent. Always get to, good to get paid for the work that you do. So. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I think actually, since you said uh, that you do a bit of security stuff, I think the next question is uh, fairly good to slip into. Um, so I'd like to ask you all how you got into security. Um, and this time we'll start with Sam. Right, no one else is gonna say this, I guarantee it. Um, I was a travel agent. So <laughs> that, 
that's how you get into security kids right start there it's a straight route <laughs> it's actually travel was a travel agent um <laughs> i was an accidental travel agent most of my life is a, is a big happy accident i had happened to have a computer since i was like four years old uh, but i ended up being the consultant for a company called network associates and then they hired me as their receptionist for more money than i was earning as a travel consultant and that was the beginning of something <laughs> something <laughs> it, was, it was definitely the beginning uh, but I kind of I knew what they did this was in the olden times when like NIMDA was cool for the old people on the call um, and I was like this sounds interesting like I kind of appreciated the the carnage that was being caused and like the flip side of that of how to kind of you know deal with it stop it as best you could and yeah travel agent to receptionist to and I went and then ended up building products so yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> there's a bit more to it in the journey, but it was never the plan. I wanted to be a journalist, um, specifically a war correspondent, because I thought being shot at was a great plan. So there's my answer. <laughs> I don't think anyone else is going to say the same thing. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's rather impressive. I, I'd like to know a little bit more about the jump in between. So if we can circle back to that later, perhaps, but, but we'll let others answer. So um, Zoe, if you can answer the same question, please. Uh, yeah, uh, very different than uh, Sam's journey. Um, mine actually started out in a not so lovely place. Uh, I was actually in a a abusive relationship and I was a dropout from university because I was studying botany and I was allergic to plants who knew um <laughs> good timing uh but uh so I actually was working at an accounting firm and I decided that the job I was doing wasn't hectic enough um, and I also as, as I said I was in a beast relationship so a lot of the skills that I learned were in an effort to protect myself and um, being you know open source intelligence uh, protect myself from stalking um, you know securing my accounts protecting myself from the abuser and um, and it was it was quite a journey. Uh, it was quite scary and it was very difficult. And that's kind of the reason I've gone into the career path that I've gone into uh, is because my goal has always been to be that person that I needed. Um, I like to say 10 years ago, but it's over that now. So the person I needed when I started. Um, and so my focus now is quite heavily on um you know, privacy and ethics and security. I'm not a privacy expert, to be clear, but um, but kind of designing solutions that are by design by default. So helping people that maybe don't know that they need support and helping them in a way that is easy for them to understand. Um, I think really that journey, I mean, I know it sounds quite negative, but it's actually been very positive because through that I've been able to kind of focus my efforts on areas that sometimes aren't always the sexiest part um and uh I don't know I find it really enjoyable really rewarding oh that's wonderful Zoe uh let's go with Claire next um so I studied strategic communication in college and uh the job I got after was at a PR firm um and I didn't really care what the firm did I just was happy to have a job that used my degree uh because at that time that was pretty pretty novel um so 
it happened that the firm I was working at represented very heavily in the high tech space, specifically cybersecurity. And this was also 2014. So OPM breach, Sony, shit was in the flan. Um, and I wanted to go back to graduate school to study crisis communication. And in the you know year or so that I was out working at that firm, I realized, hey, cybersecurity could use some crisis communication, eh? <laughs> so I decided to study uh, cybersecurity through a lens of crisis communication and public relations, and then slowly transitioned into a quote unquote real job with those, those skills. Awesome, thank you, Claire. Uh, James. How did you get into security and doing security stuff? Uh, accidentally. I'm, I'm not actually sure when it happened. I started off dropping out of university partway through a physics course, uh, which seemed like a bright idea at the time, but <laughs> turned out not to be. And then floated around for a bit, got into tech support. And at some point in the two decades since, I've ended up saying that I'm in security. So I can't say it happened at a particular time. It was somewhere across that timescale. Excellent. And uh, Dave, last but not least, uh, how did you get into security? I'd love to say I was a travel agent for war correspondents that then had to like leave because every office I worked in was full of plants that I was allergic to. But unfortunately, it's really dull. I, I did computing at like uni and then I went and got a like computing job right in the database that then I couldn't do that because it was for a payroll firm and they then need to do tax things at the year end. And then the help desk said, we're paying for you. So you go and put a CD drive over there and pull things out of a printer over there. And then over the course of like 15 years, I became a reasonably good tech guy and then at that point then I got drafted into oh there's a big tech disaster there and then at some point all those tech disasters became ransomware or somebody being hacked and I ended up being an IT guy that people pulled in to deal with a crisis like that and then eventually somebody I worked with was in a cybersecurity firm and went you want to stop pretending to do it and come across and do it for real and so that's where I am now so uh, ultimately I'm still just an IT guy that happens to know enough people in cyber and enough about cyber to make most of it. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Thank you all. So actually we got a question in from Chris Bohr um, talking about these happy accidents of life. Um, and he's asked if any of you actually planned your career into cybersecurity. And to me, it sounds like none of you really have, but if any of you, think that perhaps there was an element of planning and you want to discuss that, we can continue on with that. Otherwise, I'm happy to move on to the next question. There was a bit of planning on my end um, after the happy accident. So it was a happy accident that led to some, some pretty considerable planning. Um, you know, I got a whole damn master's degree <laughs> to, to pursue cybersecurity. It's not in cybersecurity, but I, I, skewed that work towards it so that when I was done, I could get a job in cybersecurity and then only looked for um, jobs in cybersecurity. I think that's the closest to planning I've gotten in my career so far. I did go to college. Um, that was a bit of planning. It was after I was an IT manager, but uh, I went back to school uh, to learn what I was doing. It's a bit of planning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is definitely planning ahead. Um, 
perhaps James, did you have any sort of plans to shift um, into security I, I, or plan that move? I had a plan after I shifted into security. So I did go down the route of doing a master's in cybersecurity, but that was in the last few years. And then I had a wonderful plan for this year of going independent and doing really well because it was going to be a nice smooth year. Um, <laughs> part of that worked. The, the other part, some sort of events happened and it's uh, thrown all of those plans out the window. Fair enough. Um, well, okay then. Um, moving then on to, well, from security on to speaking, um, how did you all get into speaking uh, sort of publicly? So uh, if I can get perhaps Claire to answer that first. Yeah, that's, I think, uh, mine's probably the most aggressive. I taught public speaking in, when I was a grad student. So I taught public speaking for three years at the collegiate level. So lots of experience, both learning the principles of it and also doing it. I was teaching nine hours a week plus uh, for three months at a time and a bajillion semesters. And so it was what I like to call immersion therapy because I did not like speaking before that. And I still get very nervous when I speak. Um, but I also first started speaking as a presenter at Besides DC. I reached out to them um, because I wanted to attend and I had no idea what a conference in cybersecurity would be like. I didn't know anything about the community. So I reached out to the organizers and I was like, hey, I want to come. They're like, well, you sound really cool and we don't know anything about communication. So why don't you just like submit a talk? So I did. And it kind of snowballed from there. Amazing. That sounds so cool. Uh, Dave, how did you get into speaking? So during my degree, you had to present on your project. So I narrowly avoided throwing up continually for that. Uh, but essentially, as I went through my like IT career, I, I went from the teaching the person next to me how to do something to teaching small rooms to thing it. And then the the company I was with had had a roadshow that went around the, the UK, like doing different like talks and education stuff as well as selling products and things. So eventually I volunteered for that. Uh, and that became the in six months, why don't you go and do a bazillion talks? you're doing two or three in a day uh, and then packing up the entire thing and, and going to the next one. And so that became a bit of a, right, now you've done it. And then after that, it became pretty straightforward. And as, as part of the work, you just end up doing like webinars and things like that. And then just that, that was it. So for me, it was a, a gradual lessening of the complete throwing up before anything. Uh, but it's still there. Nerves are, nerves are just part of it. Sorry, excitement is just part of it. That's a good thing you caught yourself there before James jumped in. So. Uh, but yeah, James, how did you get into, into speaking? So I was invited um, by a family member who's actually in the audience to speak at, I think it was a Cafe Sci was the first one, which is this little science communication event. And I did a talk there about cybersecurity, and that was followed up by guest lecturing at a university and then I bumped into someone who organized conferences and he just started inviting me along to speak at them and it kind of took off and snowballed from there. 
Excellent. Uh, Zoe, how did you get into speaking? Well, you guys all have very bloody impressive journeys. Um, mine is not that impressive. I wanted to learn um, Python. Uh, and in my mind, that meant let's build a project with Python and then present it at a conference. I don't know. Um, so my first conference was a B-Sides event in 2015, I think. Um, I mean, I did talks here and there through school or whatever, but that was, I would say, my first big one because it was at, at a pub um, and um, it was... Um... One second. Um... <laughs> my partner has synced his that's okay we could speakers get... i'm gonna go and mute for a sec no worries um sam <laughs> do you want to answer the question then i'm trying to figure out where it started and it wasn't in travel um i think where it really began was when i was working at mcafee which wasn't what network associates turned into we decided at some point we were going to bring customers in to um, to tour the labs, and like, all of a sudden, like the engineers were like, "We don't want to actually talk to the customers. Can you can you run the labs tours?" From that turned into, "Or oh, we should probably tell them something while they're here, rather than walk them around a building and see people sat at desks and do the whole cloak dagger like you have to leave your phones outside to go into this room and there's researchers going tap 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 tap." Um, and we, I had a presentation I'd give to my customers when I was working in support about how to handle a virus outbreak. And then that turned into the, the part of the show. And yeah, I, it wasn't a choice, but we had to do something. <laughs> and a lot of the engineers weren't really happy going up and doing a big presentation. Um, and that said, they're all way smarter than me. So <laughs> I'd turn up and kind of be like, here's some PowerPoint, some things and people at desks. And it kind of went from there, I think. Um, I didn't do a proper talk at a conference which, without being just the vendor at the conference until I spoke at B-Sides Manchester a couple of years ago, um, which was weirdly terrifying because it was my first proper con talk. And when we'd submitted the talk, it had gone through our PR company and they said it was a 20 minute talk. And when I got there, it turned out it was gonna be an hour and I planned a 20 minute talk. So that was fun with a room full of people. I'm like, so let's now have a chat for 40 minutes at the end. But um, yeah, and then it's it's kind of carried on. But I, yeah, I love it. Um, I, I like I like speaking, as you can probably tell. Awesome, thank you, Sam. Uh, Zoe, was there anything you wanted to finish up there? Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I get distracted very easily. Uh, so yeah, so sorry. My first talk was at a pub. Um, it was really, really cool because um, it was streamed as well, and so I had friends that weren't physically there watching and the audience was like 150 people which was a big thing for a rookie and um I think I was so nervous going back to what Dave said I was so nervous that I've actually part of my talk was I had a router and I think a switch and I was demoing essentially it was about network configuration management and it was a live demo of things being changed uh, the configuration being paused and then showing up on my super elite website that was a black screen with green text and it was horrible and I loved it um, and it was very vulnerable and 
that code was horrible but it was the point of the talk was to learn python actually and um it was just really enjoyable because i got to share my passion uh for network configuration management a very boring topic to a bunch of nerds who absolutely well i hope loved it because afterwards i got really good feedback um and going back to being how nervous i was i couldn't figure out right before my talk why the uh, code wasn't working I forgot to plug in the router yeah that's probably something you should do um, but um, after that uh, I just kind of thought it's really cool that I could share my passion with somebody um, even if it was a boring topic and people enjoyed it uh, and so it just kind of went from there where I submitted a few talks here and there um, I struggled really bad with confidence. Um, I definitely struggled with imposter syndrome, still do. And a lot of the times I'd submit a talk thinking, well, the worst they can say is no. And then they said yes. And I was confused as to why they said yes, because I was like, but I was the one that submitted that. Like, why are you asking me to do it? So I think I was quite shocked every time. Um, and then it moved into no longer submitting and now being requested. And that was really cool. But also really, for me, it's quite massive because it's like, it's weird to be wanted. That sounds really weird. But it's weird to have people think, oh, actually, you can do this, go do it. And I think the first time that I actually felt like I maybe was somewhat okay at speaking was uh, besides London where um, I had a bit on the same side as Sam randomly having a much longer talk um, I didn't know I was a backup speaker because I was rejected that year thinking okay whatever not a big deal and I was sat in a talk uh, it was about to start and they're like oh is Zoe in the room and I was like oh what did I do um, and it turned out that I was speaking next for 45 minutes on a talk that I didn't have um, so I spent 10 minutes creating slide deck that was white background with black text because I couldn't spend any more time making it and it spelt every word wrong probably uh, there was one word that was really badly spelt um, and one of my friends took a picture of it <laughs> it was that bad but um, it was communications <laughs> and uh, I, I felt like Although that talk wasn't recorded, um, I did that for my own personal fear because I hadn't prepared at all. But um, I think that was that turning point because I felt most confident there. And actually, I really enjoyed that talk. Um, and after that nerves kind of settled down, um, I felt like that was probably my most confident speaking engagement. And actually, I felt really excited about answering the questions. So I think talking evolved from me using as an excuse to learn python to really really enjoying just connecting with the audience amazing thank you so much zoe um yeah i think i can relate to that sort of feeling of being surprised that someone wants to listen to you because <laughs> when i submitted to the cfp i was fairly surprised that I got in, even though it was intended for rookie speakers and it was intended literally for people like myself. I was still surprised to be accepted. So oh, I'm still surprised, uh, to be clear, that hasn't stopped. <laughs> I'm still terrified. I'm still like, why are you asking me to speak? But um, no, so 
to be clear, I don't know if that goes away. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, then moving on to the next question. Um, so obviously BeerCon 2 has gone and went. It's been over a month since. Um, how, uh, reflecting upon the experience, how did you find it? Uh, you know, did you enjoy it? What was good about it? Um, what was bad about it, if anything? Um, <laughs> uh, starting off with uh, Sam. I loved it. I mean, I just genuinely loved it. Um, I'm also, I was so wowed by all the speakers. Like nobody came across as, as it being their first talk. I learned stuff. I learned so much. Like all the talks were really interesting. Um, and I'm just so pleased that the beer farmers did that as a thing to give that platform to people and make it solely for them. Cause it's really tough. Like when you first start submitting for talks, it's like you kind of wear the rejections like a badge of honor. You're like, oh yeah, got another one. Um, and then when you do get accepted, you're like, oh my God, what, what really? <laughs> okay. And you find out it's an hour and not 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. The speaking quality was amazing. And like the, the level of care that people had about making it really good. Um, again, I think I've seen people that have been doing it forever and they're almost kind of ambivalent to it. They're just like, yeah, here I am again, it's me. Here's me doing a talk. Everyone put so much effort in and everyone was helping each other. And it was just, it was such an amazing experience. So yeah, all of the happies, it was great. That's amazing. Um, Claire, how did you find BeerCon 2? Very much the the same to Sam. I was I was having very much like proud mom feelings of of watching these speakers who I know were so I'm gonna say nervous because that's exactly what they were. They were nervous, and that's okay. It's okay to be nervous. Eventually it will become excitement, but nervous is a thing that you will feel before speaking. And to see them go from that, and they were likely still sweating and very nervous giving their presentations. I know the feeling, but it didn't come through. All you saw were these composed presenters talking about things that, you know, ignited passion in them and that they wanted to share. It was so amazing to watch. And I really do wish some more practiced speakers took that approach of I'm going to sit with these slides and I'm going to take time because when you get to a certain point in your speaking career, you do start to take it for granted. And I've seen a lot of talks that could have been improved and people being very blase of like, oh yeah, I finished my slides five minutes before it's done. And, and I don't ever rehearse. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. But maybe take a, take time to really prepare and you'll see presentations of like, look at rookies and look at what they're accomplishing because they have that excitement and they have that care for what they're doing. And you've kind of lost that as a, you know, veteran speaker. Interesting that you should say that, Claire. Um, James, we've had this discussion before, but you say <laughs> that you don't tend to practice necessarily. So uh, one, how did you find the BeerCon 2 experience? And two, do you have anything to say to Claire? <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely agree that, as Chris has said, not preparing or practicing your presentation is very arrogant uh, to the audience, but I still don't do it. I do think through the presentation, I do prepare it and think about what I'm going to say and build the slide deck, and that takes quite a bit of time. What I don't do is practice it because the only times I've practiced it, what I've done is driven myself into an absolute nervous mess. I can deliver it live, 
I can't deliver it to me. I can't deliver it to a private audience. Uh, so I don't practice and it's worked for me so far. I have now got to the point where there's a, there's one I'm working on at the moment where I'm, I'm going way above and beyond on preparation and practice of anything I've done before. But no, I do often just largely wing it, do the preparation in a few days beforehand. Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's winging it. And then there's what you're describing, which is you actually put care into your presentation beforehand. You just don't rehearse it. Like preparation is different for everyone. I have sat in green rooms with folks a lot who said, oh yeah, I submitted this talk six months ago and then I got accepted and I forgot about it. And I'll just go up there and talk for a little while. I got some slides, I guess. I'm like, cool. Okay. Uh, that's nice. Um, people, you know, kind of technically paid money to come see you. Uh, you could have put some care into anything. Um, so the only time I've done something similar to that, where it's been, okay, I've got, I'll, I'll do 15 minutes of prep was where I had 15 minutes of notice. Exactly. That is, that is when that happens. And I, Zoe's story before was the same of like, you get away with having 15 minutes of prep when you literally have 15 minutes to prep. And even that's generous because you need like a couple minutes to run to the bathroom before you speak. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, Zoe, do you want to take it from here? How did you find BeerCon 2? Do you have anything else to add to the discussion about preparation? Well, I would say I found the conference absolutely brilliant. Like, just as everyone's been saying, you know, the quality was there. And it, and I think that goes back to the care, because not only were, you know, we didn't just hire or choose, I mean, obviously they didn't get paid, but choose these men, uh, these uh, rookies and then just say, okay, go on, go do it. You know, that they were taken care of by the um, BeerCon crew. They were taken care of by the other uh, mentors and I kind of helped here and there sometimes. Um, and, you know, they they felt supported. That was the one thing that I saw them say over and over again in the chat, you know, um, having those chats with us, running through their slides, having that community behind them is what made um, it much easier for them because starting out is bloody terrifying um, and I think the coolest part of the whole thing to me was not just that it was brilliant talks it was that um, every once in a while you know we'd go on I think everybody did this but we'd go on zoom and we'd just sit on there and then people would like people going to do their talk would jump in do a run through of their slides and then jump off and or stay on and watch somebody else and and it was really neat because I I did that and um throughout just sitting there for a couple hours people would join do their talk and one you could see the terror they're being terrified and then the more confident and by the end they they kind of felt a little bit more reassured and then the other speakers were kind of reassuring them as well and being like oh I really like this or you know this was really cool and that support and that community is quite vital I think to success and I think that goes into our whole career you know when I started out I didn't have a community um, it was terrifying I was quite alone um, over time I ended up joining a hackerspace and then I had that community and that's what I saw in BeerCon too is going from people just out of the blue you know they're not they're not in this community and then finding it and then being able to excel so I think I think 
the whole premise of the conference could be taken into real life working and how to build a more secure environment, a more robust team um, and making a, just a better you know, working environment. The thing about uh, preparation, I think, to be clear, it's different for everyone. Um, for me, it depends on the talk. Some talks I present to my ferrets, uh, some talks I present to my uh, husband, some talks I present to my teacup, um, and some I don't present. I just uh, prepare in my own kind of different ways. So I think it really depends on the person. One person that I really like to talk about when it comes to, you know, seeing the difference is Scott Helm, because he's done this one talk, um, I can't remember it's like the actual name but he's done this one talk and he's done it many many times and the first time I saw him was in 2015 in Cambridge at uh, PasswordsCon and I don't know if that was the first time he did the talk but that was the first time I saw it and then watching that version of that talk and then every time I've seen him since I still attend the same bloody talk because he's that good of a speaker but um, you can just tell that He's done that talk so many times that he knows it down to like, um, I remember I was backstage with him once and we were talking about um, his slide layout and he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to cut this section, add this section. I'm like, you're about to speak. Like, how are you doing this? And he's like, oh, I've done it so many times. I know how long each section takes. You know, I know that talk inside and out. And so I know this is the type of audience. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is what I'm going to present. And he goes on stage and he bloody aces it every single time. And I've seen this talk probably five times now. And every time I'm like, that's so good. Like you are such my role model. Um, and he's a wonderful person. But um, to give you a bit of context, he literally was in a conference once where people were throwing, you know, those stress balls. They were literally whipping those at him. And he still was on cue and able to complete his talk the entire time naturally. And I can't imagine if I could ever do that. I get distracted by noises, so that's cool. So I think it really goes to the type of person and what helps them. Um, for me, getting in that zone of speaking is very important prior to, because uh, I could practice the talk a million times and then go do it and just fail because I was not confident, you know? Um, so getting into that zone is very important. Um, but I think what Claire and James were kind of touching on is it's not, it's not that they're not preparing. It's you're preparing in a way that works for you, but you're giving that respect to your audience. You know, they're, paying or spending time because time is money you know they're spending time listening to you maybe watching a video or be seeing you live or maybe they traveled to that event maybe they took time off work either way they took time out of their lives to see it and so you need to respect that um, and give the quality that they hopefully are expecting you're not going to make everybody happy um i've had talks that uh very angry people have been like oh i didn't learn anything and um yeah because you get that you do but yeah. the reality is if you prepared and you're like this is this is my talk this is my quality um you, even if those angry people are angry they're going to be regardless so yeah. don't base it off that base it off i want to give you respect and share my knowledge and this is how i did it
that's quite a ranty response sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's okay I'm just gonna move along uh, and ask Dave to answer the same question so how did you find BeerCon 2 and if you want to add to the discussion about preparation please do so um, in terms of preparation because I can do that quickly hopefully uh, like James I, I don't practice out loud I, I find that very distracting I also find if I do it too much I end up being very rigid when I'm talking and I it ends up sounding in my own head very false and people tell me it doesn't come across it, but in my in my head I'm then just regurgitating things rather than like like speaking from the heart sort of thing so ultimately that's 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 where I go I do stick as much preparation as I can humanly fit into it. Uh, I like to do demos if I possibly can, depending on the talk and stuff. And that I practice with an inch of his life. Because as far as I'm concerned, like if, if you go up and you do a demo, it's like it just brings a little extra something sometimes and it allows people to actually see what you're talking about. Uh, and if, if you can do that, people tend to remember it, even if it goes horribly, horribly wrong. Because even then, that brings a bit of humour into it. As long as you can laugh and not panic about it and just go, ah, well, fine, throw it, we'll go, let's go talk about something else. Uh, but yeah, the practising, I find very, I'm quite a shy person. Not that anybody will ever believe this, but honestly, I'm, uh, I'm a, like, so I, I, the, the concept of having like a friend or like my wife or someone listen to me talk is horrendous professionals and like people that are or customers absolutely fine but on that personal level I find those people listening to me very off-putting so at that point I'm saying I can't practice to the thingy could technically practice to the cat but she gets bored and wanders off so uh yeah it's just like she wants to stay still for it uh, so uh yeah in terms of Beercon 2 I was a goon so as well as being the mentor I was the goon and on the day as Ger and Leonard, the other goons will know, and as James will know, I saw none of BeerCon. Uh, I had to watch all the videos later because literally I spent my entire, the entire first day and a good portion of the second day saying, hey, how are you doing? Right, we're going to share your screen. Right, okay, right. Have you got water? Have you been to the toilet? Breathe. Everything's going to be fine. And I had this spiel within like three or four people and when Leonard and Jer went on to do their talks, they got the spiel as well. And of course, they'd heard it like 42 times. I mean, they were just, so they just laughed themselves silly because they were just sitting going there. Yeah, yeah, okay, right, fine, yeah, yeah. And so, no, no, because you're going to be great, but you, everybody else has had this talk, so you get it too. And when I couldn't, because I had to go off and do work and stuff, I would dip back into the green room and actually hear them delivering the exact same spiel, even with the same cadence and stuff, which was just hilarious to sit there and go there. I'd like kind of like mute the Teams meeting and bring the Zoom meeting up and go, oh, right, okay, oh, right, wow, that is word for word, right, okay, it's still going fine. So for me, BeerCon was was exhausting uh, because I was literally calming people down every half an hour, like clockwork over and over and over again. It was it was an amazing experience, but I was so drained by the end of the first day. It was just like, oh, you're just single because everybody, everybody came in with nerves and then everybody went on and rocked it and you're just sitting on, you just calm them all down and stuff like that. And like, so uh, Dan Con came in, I was like, have you got water? He's like, yeah, it looks. And I'm going, Dan, that bottle's empty. He's like, 
<laughs> runs on and fills his water bottle and just sitting on there. But yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody was amazing sort of thing. But yeah, it was, uh, it was bizarre because literally as they were talking, the next person was coming in. So I literally got to see a couple of minutes and then, yeah, they're up, they're fine, they're working. And then the next person was in and they did the same spiel and tests and stuff like that. So uh, it was a very, very odd uh, uh, day sort of thing because I literally just over and over again, same spiel over and over again, but still make it thingy and calm everybody down and everybody needed a little something different sort of thing. You're like, right, how are you doing? Yeah. Right, okay, you set up this way. So, but yeah, it was an, it was an amazing experience, but oh, it was exhausting. I think that uh, sort of little quick intro, quick uh, calming of the nerves little session that we each had before we went into speaking was hugely helpful because it just kind of reminded us that we're just dealing with real nice people who are here to make sure that we have a good time. So it was really, really reassuring. So that was really great. Um, but we have some more questions. So let's move on. Um, Oliver asks, what advice would you give to potential speakers who may not have had the chance to speak at a rookie conference? Um, and what we'll do is we'll ask James to answer that first. Uh, it's going to sound a bit egotistical, but find a mentor. Find someone who's willing to support and help you. Just having seen the massive difference it's made, and even if that's just making people feel better, I, I don't feel like I really did anything. I listened to a few talks and gave some encouragement, but it's made a difference. It's, yeah, find someone who's willing to help you through it, who's spoken before and will just give you that moral support. Great, thank you, James. Um, Zoe, what would your advice be? Always a million shame, so I would say, sorry? Oh, sorry, Zoe, I've just muted you there because your uh, microphone sounded a little bit funny. So I'll just, <laughs> sorry about that. We'll move on to Claire quickly and then we'll come back around to you. Yeah, I, I agree with what James said, um, especially the bit about finding someone who's spoken before because it's, it's an, an important mix in a mentor because part of it is just having someone to vent your energy towards, but it's also about venting it towards someone who can then, you know, give you feedback that you trust. You know, your friends who haven't spoken might say supportive things that are true, but they don't have that background. So your, your brain doesn't process it appropriately. Um, so finding someone that where you can just kind of like anxiously shriek at them for like five minutes and then they say cool I hear you you'll be fine and you actually believe them because they've been in a similar position you can reach out to the organizers of the conference and see if they have any resources available they may know other speakers they can partner with you with if you don't want to just like cold reach out but I will speak for myself and I know others on this call will probably also say the same thing but like reach out to me um, and I will mentor and, and just find someone where you can just kind of shriek for a little bit, have them review your slides and then have them say, do you feel better now that you have screamed? And likely you will have, you will feel better having screamed and then it'll be fine. It doesn't, it's, it's not a heavy lift to be a mentor in most cases. It takes very little time. It's mostly just having a sympathetic ear and we are here for that. Awesome, thank you, Claire. Uh, Zoe, do you want to try again? <laughs> do I sound robotic? No, you're fine now. Okay, I did warn James about that because <laughs> I don't know what's going on with his headphones, but 
the last three talks I've had is I've randomly a robot. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, um, I would actually mimic James and now Claire, um, find, find somebody because, um, when I'm doing a project, uh, if I can get somebody that's already done something similar, I'm going to find the things that I need to find, but in a much more efficient way, if that makes sense. So uh, from from what I've seen at other conferences, there are some that do have mentor and rookie matchups, like Besides London is a great example. And I've supported people in that. As Claire said, it doesn't feel like a lot of work to me. I, I'm not... I'm not building your talk. I'm not doing your talk. All I'm doing is sat there listening to you talk at me and then giving you feedback on it, usually. Um, when I see people do it mentioned, they're doing their first talk on Twitter, I will go and say, let me know if you want to peer, if you want me to peer review your slides. Because, you know, that that to me is very short. I'll do a little here and there, give a bit of feedback. But for them, it's you know, that's that external validation that somebody else saying you're doing a good job. And I think that's really key because not only is it going to help you with um, kind of finding, you know, different tips and tricks based on their experience, but also it's going to help with your confidence and that actually makes a better talk anyway. So, yeah, I think find, find a mentor and um, chat with people. Don't Don't feel like... Don't feel like you're wasting their time because if you've prepared and you've reached out to me and said, I really want to run through this with you, I'm going to be so bloody excited for you that I won't even care. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, Dave, what advice would you have? Uh, the same, which is dull. So I'm trying to think of something else to say. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, like reach out again. Yeah, I mean, it's it takes no time and is actually massively rewarding for a mentor as well to because you then become part of that person's success just a tiny little bit because you go, I helped that and that's amazing and I helped that person grow. So, uh, yeah, to be honest, it is find a mentor because they'll give you an insight into something. And so a lot of it is the, hey, I know what you're trying to say. Are you bringing your your audience with you? Uh, do they understand what the takeaway is from this? And and that was, especially if you get very excited in your first talk, is you're throwing a whole bunch of stuff in. You're probably trying to do 342 slides, Nico. Uh, so I mean, yeah, and it is just like that, right? Okay, and then just sitting and go, right? What do you want the What do you want them to take away at the end of it? Is it what is what is it that you're if it's like a customer thing, what is it you're trying to sell in form? What are you trying to make people feel? And and it's that can get really easily lost when you're really worrying about your content. And that was the like one of the things was just like, hey, everybody calm down and the right, what do you want people to take away from this? Do you want to take people away like a way to be frightened of this? And so there, there was bits and pieces about look, you've shown this really scary thing. What do people do to fix it? Are you leaving people in a state of fear or are you actually sitting there going, no, no, there's hope. All you have to do is go and do X, Y, and Z. And so that can vastly improve something because you're, you're so busy talking about your exploit. You're to, so busy talking about this, this thing that people need to do. You didn't actually tell them what they need to do to come fix it. And that ends up becoming the, the, like a key thing that ends up getting missing is that you spent so much time on your content that you end up going thing. That's what a mentor can kind of do for you because they understand what you're trying to do 
even if you didn't see it in your first round of slides. Awesome, thank you, Dave. And uh, Sam, same question to you. Um, I, it's really hard not to repeat what everyone said. I am seeing more and more now with conferences that, that that tick box for would you like a mentor is popping up more and more, which is great. Uh, it's really good to see. I'll also say when Claire offered out her services, all of us nodded at the same time. All of us were like, yeah, to help. Um, it can be so useful, especially if it's someone you don't know so well, actually. It takes the edge off a little bit. Like Dave said about like presenting to your friend or your partner or whatever can be like, they're super judgy, like you don't need that. <laughs> they know you too well. Um, but even slides, like correct, oh, correctives, wrong word. helping people with slides, I shouldn't say this out loud, it's my happy place. Like I actually really like being in PowerPoint and aligning things nicely for the eye and like that kind of stuff and getting rid of bloody bullet points. Um, <laughs> that's my thing that I hate, but it is. But even that, like, so, so much of this you kind of pick up as you go but if someone just goes hey like that font's too small or that picture's out there or this slide has got 50 million things on it like it takes a while to figure that out yourself so like get the help like it really is there and that's the best thing about this community right is that 99% uh, of people really are there to, to we're all there to support each other so asking can be terrifying um I, we're ready. Well, <laughs> come and get us. Really, really, really. Actually, out. yeah. And I thought of something while everyone else was speaking, but one of the things that made me really proud as a mentor watching the BeerCon Slack channel was the co the like peer mentoring, the speakers oh. mentoring speakers. So if you're at a conference that doesn't have this infrastructure, reach out to someone else on the agenda and say, if, it, if they're not a friend, you know, it might be a little more daunting, but if it's someone, you know, reach out and be like, Hey, do you want to like, look at each other's slides beforehand and make sure it makes sense? Like find another speaker and mentor each other. That was so amazing to see for BeerCon too. And you can replicate that even if there isn't a place where it's designated of like, this is where mentoring happens. You can just reach out and say, Hey, I saw that you're speaking at such and such conference. I'm also speaking there. Would you like to work together to make sure our slides are grammatically correct sort of thing? Absolutely. Um, I think speaking from experience, I know that we all tried to sort of help each other and look over slides and go, oh, you know, maybe change the color of that font or something along those lines, you know, or, um, you know, do you really need that much content or, you know, just having a, a quick look over um, and speaking to each other about that was great. I didn't have my slides prepared on time for anyone to see them, but, <laughs> um, you know, just taking in the sort of conversations that were happening around me were also really useful and oh James's cat has joined the, <laughs> joined the chat uh excellent okay well actually we had a question from twitter I believe very early on um from ginger panda 07 um saying what is your favorite horror story from mentoring so I don't know if anyone had any horror stories specifically at BeerCon um or elsewhere but what would your favorite horror story be if you do have one? Uh, James? I can do one, which is the first time I realized I was mentoring. And it was a few years ago, and I'd just been helping someone out by answering a few questions and chatting to them now and then. <clears throat> and they just said, oh, yeah, this is James, my mentor. 
at which point my brain blew because I I wasn't as confident and perfect as I am now. So my immediate thought was, what the hell is someone doing thinking I'm mentoring them? They really don't want to follow my example. So that's the big horror story. And it took me about a minute to get myself together to be able to carry on the conversation. Excellent. Thank you, James. Uh, Dave, do you have any horror stories? No. Well, so there was the, the, when somebody reached out for the very first time and said, hey, it's been recommended that you could be a mentor for me, there was an element of, oh, God, who the hell am I to give anybody advice on anything? You know, so like the like immediate, like, you know, big ass boot of imposter syndrome kicking you in the head, something. But there was just the, right, I'm not an accomplished public speaker. I'm not this, I'm not that. And you get all these things running through your head and then that just spins running around your head. So, and then the person like appears and you start talking to you, like you realize, right, okay, this person's terrified of some things that you've had to deal with already. And then everybody that knows me from anyone knows that I genuinely have a kind of like horror story of some description that happened to me or someone I've worked with sort of thing. So there's always a, bring a parallel from your life that allows you to like get that story across. And generally it's about calming, calming people down and stuff. But yeah, the, uh, the whole, my biggest horror story about mentoring was when somebody said, Hey, you're, you're mentoring. Uh, I am. Oh, and he's like, oh my, oh, like, who, who am I to, to do that? And it's exactly the same as everybody standing up there doing their, their first talks of the, who am I to be seeing this? Uh, and yeah, so it's it's a bizarre parallel of that you're mentoring people for speaking about the exact same things you're feeling about being a mentor. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Sam? Um, I, I fully agree. Like, I, and then trying not to pass on your imposter syndrome. Is like that's, you're like, no, no, no. Okay. Like, no, I, I, yeah, I've totally got this. And like inside, you're still like, what, what if I'm telling them the wrong thing? What if every time I've spoken, it's been dreadful? What if bullet points are the right thing? Um, I also find it super hard critiquing someone else's slides when that, for, like, especially if it's the first few times they've done them because like they've, they kind of, they're giving it like a good shot and they're like, what do you think? Like, I don't want to destroy somebody because I think that the picture should be over here and that's got too much text and you've got a full stop there and you haven't there and <sighs> you do feel a little bit awkward. So trying to deliver that in a way that's helpful. Um, it's, it's, that in itself is a good learning opportunity, I think, as a mentor. And it's an old adage, but like you learn as a mentor, you really do. Um, so that, yeah, I think that's for me the hardest thing. Everyone that I helped, and I still feel like I didn't give enough help, but everyone that I did help, um, just, you know, you said about the proud mom thing, Claire, and I totally, totally get that. It was the most amazing thing, seeing people go up there and just own own their time so even if i did totally let my imposter syndrome fall over them um they still did okay off the back of it <laughs> so go them basically awesome uh zoe uh, have you got any horror stories i have so many um <laughs> no i i've got a personal failures um <laughs> but no i think I think the horror stories were actually situations where I said, 
happy to mentor they were like awesome and then they never talked to me <laughs> they like avoided me um or they did um they did talk to me and they got quite offended and um and I mean, going back to what Sam says, you have to be very careful. You have to do, you have to give feedback in a way that's constructive and kind. And, you know, you're removing your preference or your style, but you're, you know, talking about what, what as an audience member might make more sense. Because obviously I don't know your script. So I can say, well, I didn't quite get this or I didn't quite get that or I can't bloody read that slide, you know? So there's little bits, you know, that you have to, you have to do it in a constructive way. But, um, but unfortunately, sometimes um, some people don't want to be mentored and they either are not taking the feedback or or the worst, the worst is um, they say, tell me everything, you know, tell me how to do it. And I'm like, I can't. I can tell you how I do it and I'm happy to tell you the things that I've done that are successful. I'm happy to tell you the things I've done that have failed but I can't tell you how to do it. And for me, um, if you want to be mentored, the most effective thing you can do is can say, this is what I've done, you know, give me feedback on it. And then realize that the feedback I'm giving you is all done in a way to help you. And you don't have to take it all, to be clear. You can say, that shit advice I don't agree with that um but please don't say it to me I have feelings um, <laughs> but um, I'm overly emotional at the moment lots of hormones uh I'm building a baby so you know take it easy on me <laughs> but um, but really like the point of mentoring is not to tell you what to do the point of mentoring is not to fight the point of mentoring is to say this is what I love about what you're doing this is a little bit of feedback that, you know, I've seen work. Um, and maybe these are some things I've seen that don't work. And this is kind of your storyline. You know, I get this and this, but I don't get that. You know, there's little things here and there. Um, I think the other thing is uh, what Sam mentioned about um, learning as you go. And I think I was in the same boat as all of all of the other speakers here is, you know, I didn't become a mentor because I'm like I can mentor I became a mentor because one of my friends um who I met um because he asked me to mentor him on a talk was like hey can you give me feedback on this talk and I was like yeah sure I'm um, not a problem but I was confused why he asked me um and then he's like oh I've seen you talk and I'm like what like and you wanted me to help you um but um but you know that that gradual process of learning how to mentor realize that the person that is mentoring you is not perfect by default you know they're also human so they can make mistakes too um and uh that panel actually whilst helping the you know rookies helped me as well because I was like I am watching Sam go yes <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> like how vocal you are on mute <laughs> but um uh but no it was like external validation listening to everyone else say you know this is what helped me and I'm like oh that helped me too <laughs> you know it was really cool um and then I think the biggest part is understanding that when you're being mentored this is somebody saying from 
a caring position that they want to help you um they do have style preferences and it is okay to say zoe i don't like your style of speaking but i do like that you know what you're doing or i think i do um you know and that that's i mean please don't bash it too much but um but that does you know that when you're getting that feedback it's okay to disagree it's okay to have a different style um i know i have a story telling kind of style to my talks and I don't use a lot of um um I don't use a lot of gifs and I don't use a lot of memes um and a lot of people do and that's okay and that's okay um but it's just a different style so you know I like clean slides some people like a little bit more cluttered that's okay um really just when you're being the mentee understand those different perspectives and understand that it's done in a way that's trying to help you um and please don't take offense if I say I don't understand this because it's it's really just me saying as an audience member I'm not going to see your script I don't know what your talk necessarily is going to be um that doesn't make sense and then when you hear that um hopefully done in a nice way um you can then adjust it a bit and then it flows much better anyway yeah I, I think well no it's fine but um I think yeah from the discussions that I've had with uh, my fellow speakers I don't think anyone took any offense and uh I think we all felt very much reassured and helped so yeah, I wasn't speaking about Beacon 2 attendees just or rookies just to be clear I'm not gossiping yeah, no, about no. you <laughs> But just wanted to reassure you guys as well that uh, it was an overwhelmingly positive experience from the sort of speaker side of things. Um, but Claire, I believe you are still yet to answer the horror story question. Do you have any horror stories? Yeah, um, mostly from when I was teaching um, because bless them, but college students can make some bold decisions when it comes to presentations. Um, and we would have a group presentation every semester and I did not pick that. It was required by the course and no one loves group presentations. They're always troubling. And it would, I would see these slides and I would help them mentor. And it was basically trying to mentor four individuals and a group simultaneously because at least one group every semester did not get along. <laughs> they hated each other. They never wanted to see each other's faces again. They were like, we will give four individual presentations and then go our separate ways. <laughs> and so trying to mentor in that situation is so hard because the point is for them to have a cohesive singular presentation that lasts 20 minutes. It's like, no, you've got four five minute sections of a presentation. They're all in different templates. So they're all different formats. They have different styles. And it, they never wanted to collaborate. They never wanted to work together. So that was the, at least once a semester, I had that recurring nightmarish horror story. Um, I think one thing that's helpful for me uh, that kind of ties into what a lot of people were saying is I like to explain why I'm making recommendations rather than just making the recommendations. Um, I work with or worked when we were having in-person conferences. I would work with a lot of the researchers at my company on their presentations for things like DerbyCon or a B-Sides. And I know from experience, those projectors are, you know, East Jesus nowhere compared to where the audience is. You have to be so big with your graphics and they would have code snippets on their slides. I'm like, dear, I cannot read that. And I am a foot from my computer. <laughs> 
they will be at least a hundred times that distance and they cannot see it. So explaining the why, rather than just saying this image is too small saying, Hey, this is the scenario that you're in. And sometimes letting them decide how to solve the problem, but explaining like the, the context or why of, you know, your presentation should have a beginning, a middle and an end, or you should have a thesis statement that the audience can remember or, you know, whatever the the why is and let them get to the, the, the how. Um, And if they ask for advice, then tell them the how, but I find it a lot better in terms of telling someone their baby is ugly um, than just saying like, Hey, that slide has way too much going on saying, Hey, you know, when an audience is looking at something, they have to pick one focal point. What is the focal point of this slide? And letting them, you know, read between the lines has been very helpful for me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, okay. Well, then moving on, we had a question from Jared um, saying, what would be one takeaway that the mentors had from the speakers? Um, and I know that Sam's been repeating quite frequently there that she's learned so much um, from the speakers. Uh, so I think I'm going to start with you, Sam. It, it really was. I think um, it reminded me a lot about having that care about what you speak about, given that you, and people have been selected and they were like, this is cool, but now I'm terrified. Um, the fact they really wanted to get their point across so well um, you know, you mentioned the beginning, middle and end. I know we talked about it. By the way, that call we had, the mentors call, I thought that was a, a lovely thing to do. And I really enjoyed it. And I learned from all of you guys as well at the same time. Um, for the record, I learn every time I watch somebody else talk. Uh, it just, it keeps coming. There's no, there's no perfect recipe. Um, the things that I loved, I learned like just the topics. There were so many different topics that came up. It's this thing, I think it's this misnomer about security from the outside that like security is this one thing. And there's like so many disciplines, so many disciplines. Um, I'm a GDPR nerd. Um, and hearing Quan like deliver GDPR in a way that was so awesome, I was like, wow, I am so boring. <laughs> so boring when I deliver this. Like, and he nailed it. Um, but there were topics I knew nothing about. And because of that whole that whole run up with the the mentoring with the people then everybody kind of mentoring each other and the, the speakers looking after the, the team as it were um off the back of that just came these beautifully polished really well delivered interesting talks and that's the thing like being interesting if it's a topic that nobody knows nothing about that that's really tough really tough i'm like we were on holiday that week as well i was literally making my family listen to security talks I'm like, no, no, we need to do this thing about the NHS right now. Like, pop it on. I think you might learn something. Um, that was also great feedback. When I was subjecting, like, the non-security people in my life to these talks, many times over, people were like, wow, I didn't know that. Like, the fact that people, rookies were delivering information that people outside of our industry could understand, that's really hard to do. And it happened repeatedly. There were, like, five or six talks I had on, like, when we were having breakfast or whatever, in the car that literally my husband was like I didn't know that I'm like awesome awesome so yeah there's no one thing I learned I learned a lot I didn't catch every talk so I still there's still some to catch up on but yeah you wouldn't know that it was a rookie conference that in itself um is testament to the quality of the speakers so like well done everyone awesome 
Oh, awesome. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that and it definitely feels reassuring at the other end of it to know that we all did so well. So that, that's very much appreciated. Um, let's go with Dave. Dave, what was one thing or any amount of things that you learned from our speakers? Um, so obviously they all did like different topics and stuff and, and one's GDPR, like because like his first run through, and I was just sitting there going, crap, I've got like nothing to say to this. He's like, right, uh, member and breathe, drink some water. And it was because there was just nothing, there was like nothing on the top. And you're just sitting there going, that. And then I was like, if you, are you sure you've never taught before? And he's like, oh, I do like training presentations. And like, right, this is how, because you know you're, you know how to talk and like, like, the cadence was all like fine and and somehow you'd like the it's the first gdpr talk that i made it to the end uh sort of thing without like dying 15 times uh because you know it's the dullest subject in the world but actually it just worked and so the that that the um, jr taught me lots about really weird things about insurance fraud and he was the first one that kind of ran through and he was like super nervous and he was like I've no idea. I've just got some slides, and then he just branched off and was telling me stories. Though, and I was like, right, and he goes, yeah, but I'm not going to put that at the presentation. Like, why not? Stop. Like, the stories are they, they put the slide up with it with the stuff on it, and then tell the stories, and because everybody will then remember what the points are, uh, and and some of the stories were horrifying, and some of them were like like really interesting. So like, you just think, oh, this was it. So, but uh, to be honest, the biggest thing I got out of it was friends. So uh, I literally got friends out of it. Uh, so I, I became like, people that I, I vaguely knew from like Infosec Happier sort of thing to then having like personal Twitter conversations and actually checking in each other and making, things, making sure that things are okay and stuff. That became the it was a it was a it was a bond that well, I, I they did not expect sort of thing to 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 pull out of just like doing a, a couple of hour sessions here and there with with a bunch of people in Zoom, and instead I got a, a whole bunch of people that like genuinely care for each other and then for me so that was that was the biggest takeaway. Awesome, thank you, Dave. Uh, Claire. What was one takeaway that you had from these speakers? I think my main takeaway is that we're going to see a lot of really cool conference presentations in the future at other conferences because this was everyone's first presentation and they were so good, as we have said, a lot. Um, so it just made me really excited for future conferences because now I know all of this brilliance is going to percolate out to the other conferences and that's what we like to see is is spreading this knowledge and spreading this passion to other conferences and we had pres uh, speakers at BeerCon too from around the globe which means now those brilliant no longer rookies are going to other conferences to do more of this work I'm so excited absolutely uh James what did you learn? Uh, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was pretty much identical to Claire's. I, I think the beer farmers have now got a speaker factory that they can franchise out and just 
keep repeating and churning out amazing speakers. Uh, each cohort with their own little community of mentors, fellow speakers, and so on. It's yeah, it's uh, now their responsibility to take care of that. Indeed, uh, and Zoe. Yeah, I think um, I thought that Dave's response was really touching. You know, you, you do you do get friends, and that's really cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think my biggest takeaway is also. Um, so I mentioned I do better writing, and the biggest challenge I have is actually getting diverse perspectives. Um, it's really easy to get one group of people. It's really difficult to get a diverse approach, and I think that really makes a much better article, um, and actually provides better insights to what really is going on and so not only you know is this community of people I've already in one situation said does anybody want me to share your reference for this coming speaking event um I've already had times where I'm like oh you know you did this topic can I connect you with this person because they actually are wanting to do that topic or know that topic. Um, so that's really cool, getting that kind of connection. And then the last one is, you know, I've asked people to be um, contacts for when I've got articles that maybe are in their area. Um, and for me, that's brilliant because, I mean, I love having other people's insights, but also it's, it's a way that I can connect with people I wouldn't necessarily see. I mean, I'm in Ireland at the minute uh, and not going anywhere because you can't go outside. <laughs> um, and so I'm not running into people and making those connections. Whereas, you know, conferences are a great way to do that. And then this virtual conference, obviously, um, I've been able to connect with these other speakers. Maybe some are starting their journey, some are midway through their journey, but this is the first speaking. And so it's great to see those different perspectives and, you know, make those uh, connections. And I would like to think that some people think I'm a friend, but I don't know. <laughs> Oops. Uh, excellent. Thank you very much, Zoe. Um, Ben had a question for all of you, um, which was, what would your advice be for people who might end up being mentors in the future? Uh, so mentoring the next round of mentors then. <laughs> um, and we'll start this time with Jane. Don't let on that you're absolutely terrified. <clears throat> Seriously, just, just do the same as if you're speaking show confidence control you've absolutely got this you know they'll do fantastic you're really not worried about letting them down it never even entered your mind that's pretty much it you're there to support them let them borrow confidence and give some constructive criticism awesome thank you james uh dave definitely count how many slides they've got i and make sure <laughs> sorry nico uh, no, I mean, as James said, it, you're, 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 you're there to portray confidence, even if you don't necessarily feel it sort of thing. Uh, and e even if it is just, that's brilliant, you don't need to do anything or ask them how they feel it went. I mean, that, that's, that's the, the, the one thing that at the end of every single thing I went there. So how do you think you did? And to, they immediately start like self-reflecting on it and then at that point, the things that they're nervous about 
actually come out. Well, I, I wasn't sure I did that bit. And then you can sit there and actually you can zone straight in on what they are fearing and what they think doesn't work. And that way you might be thinking about, well, on slide two, you know, that thing wasn't quite aligned and not even realize that on slide six, they think they've completely lost the audience or they don't really think that people understand. And you're sitting going, and you go, well, it was it was absolutely perfectly fine. And to actually be able to turn around and take somebody's fears and then help them with it. That's what you're there for. So I accidentally stumbled into it. It was, you know, no great thing. It was just like, you know, I'd say, hey, how do you think you went? And because I was trying to literally think, how do I feel about this one? And so I go, hey, well, I'm still thinking, how do you think it went? And it actually turned out to highlight all these things. I was thinking, right, this is actually a thing. And so I do it or nearly every time when someone talks to me. Uh, the first thing I do is ask them to reflect on it themselves. And you do sometimes get these really odd insights that that something you just didn't realise they were frightened of. It's easy to turn in and say, hey, look, I think you might lose somebody from this slide to this slide. Uh, if you, I mean, Jer had the one where he had lots of people, he had all the beer farmers on there and then went on straight to the next slide and called them all by names, but you completely lost the position they were in. It's dead easy to spot that and go, Hey, look, when you move from slide to slide and you're trying to continue the story, you've lost people. Color code it, keep the keep the keep the icons, and then people will follow with you. Uh, and that 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 stuff's easy. But actually, the stuff that they really need when you're mentoring someone is that confidence building to find where they feel they're weakest and then help them with that. Because quite often, I mean, certainly in, in the case of nearly all the rookies in Beacon 2, there was like there was like there was there was nothing massively wrong with any of the slides. It was literally find where they feel they're actually nervous about, and then help that bit. And that way, it, it, that's that's how you help them get through. Awesome, thank you, Dave. Uh, Sam, what advice might you have for future mentors? Um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. I think all of us have walked out of a talk, and no one's asked us how do we feel it went. And we, you're so busy beating yourself up about the thing that you didn't say. You know, like, oh no, that, that and sometimes having that time to talk through it is 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 really helpful because it's ne it's never a hundred percent perfect. I think even if like you've done ninety percent, you're going to focus on that ten percent where you didn't say that hilariously funny thing that you totally had down when you were writing the slides. Um, and that's okay, uh, but I think that having that that moment afterwards, not just being like, yeah, yeah, you were great, letting somebody self reflects good and you don't always get that opportunity when you're speaking so make sure that happens I'd actually like to ask this back to you Vix because I wonder I think that um how you've been through it would you mentor somebody based on your experience I I think I would um because it's been such an overwhelmingly positive thing for me I'd love to give back and I think that you know just that session for example that we had at the very beginning um with all of you and just sort of you guys telling your stories of the times that you guys have you know fluffed up a little bit and you know, how nervous you are and how you cope with it that was really useful because it's not something that we would have otherwise gotten um so yeah i think that i could probably replicate that to some extent and i i think i would i would love to do that for someone in future yeah i love that and you've hit on my last point a little bit as well i think that being your authentic self thing is really important. Like sharing your, not weaknesses, but the times where you've had to self-reflect. Uh, you can't just turn up and be like, right, I'm the speaker and I will mentor you now with the things that I know. 
like you, you've got to share that you're like, you know you you're terrified you're excited sorry you're excited you're not you're not terrified it's definitely excitement I think that I think that's really useful because like, we're all still going through it um and you know no one's mentoring to to be the most perfect person in the world but just being able to be that help it is hugely rewarding it really is and like when you see somebody go on and that they they kick ass and my, my best bit of advice to someone always is like if you screw it up nobody knows generally apart from you and maybe the person that you practice to so like keep winging it <laughs> like don't be like oh my god this is terrible and now i'm just gonna leave like just go with it it's okay no one knows um when someone first told me that i was like great because <laughs> like it's horrible when you're like oh, i forgot to say the thing or the slides in the wrong order or this says communications or <laughs> whatever it is like you just keep going um and and that's okay but i think like, for me like just helping people not even like looking at it as mentoring just helping somebody out is is fantastic and like, I, I do it again in a heartbeat ad infinitum amazing thank you sam um claire what kind of advice would you have for future mentors one thing that's really helpful for me when I'm peer reviewing or mentoring is actually asking the person how they want to be reviewed or mentored, um, particularly when it comes to reviewing slides or reviewing writing. I'll ask, how much do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to suggest like a full rewrite? Do you want me to just go ham on whatever you have sent to me? Or would you like me to just make sure it is grammatically correct and kind of give them options? But like, how do you want to be mentored? Because people have certain expectations and they have certain, um, you know, boundaries that they may not want to be crossed and they may not consider it. So they're not going to bring it up first. But as a mentor, if you ask like, hey, what do you what do you need from me? Do you want me to go at this with a red pen and just make it bleed and and really dig into this or do you want me to be a little bit gentler um and that has been really helpful for me especially working with certain personalities who don't respond to editing well um, because at least you can set that expectation where if they say no i want a harsh edit you can kind of point back to that conversation when they feel a little stung later and say you did technically ask me to do this, um, but level setting that expectation for the mentor mentee relationship is really helpful um, because then both sides can have a, a, an idea of whether or not they're getting their time's worth. So as a mentor, you don't feel like you're letting someone down because you know exactly what they expect of you. And as a mentee, you know, you're getting the support you've asked for. Um, so that is a huge thing that has helped me in the past with peer edits, especially if you're editing friends, setting that out in advance so you don't accidentally upset your friends with your edits is really important. Um, and then I had another, oh, also I, I do think that next year for BeerCon, we have discussed it. I've floated the idea and they seem to be picking it up that the mentor session next year will be people who spoke at BeerCon too. So the mentor, the mentor base for next year's BeerCon is going to be this year's speakers, which is brilliant because it will be one-to-one. -one. This is your first talk. Last year was my first talk. Here's what helped me. Um, and I am very excited and I'm hoping that is what happens because I'm not an organizer. I'm just putting this out into the ether like the secret and hoping it happens. 
That's awesome. Well, look forward to all the BeerCon 3 excitement then. <laughs> um, uh, I think, Zoe, you're yet to answer this one. So your advice for future mentors, please. Yeah, I think I think uh, that comment, um, oh gosh, who was that? Was it James or Dave that said, um, the, how do you feel following a talk? Um, I think that I, I actually do that myself when I do a talk I ask myself how I feel after um I have internal conversations um or sometimes external alone so <laughs> but um but I think that's a really powerful question because um whether it's in your practice or after your live talk um if if you say to yourself how do you think that feels or if you say to your mentee how do you think that went um they'll pick up the things like you said I think it was Dave uh, like you said that um really something that they're struggling with and you can most times you can say actually no that that actually was really good um or you can say you know I really liked how you did this um but this was a bit confusing you know or something like that so I think that's a great way to pinpoint it um but I think to prepare myself to mentor someone, I I generally ask um, uh, these two questions. I ask, uh, what is the purpose and what are some takeaways of your talk? Um, because I do find that when, especially when you're first starting out, there's so many topics that you want to cover. There's so many things that you want to say and so many exciting passions you want to share but it's too much and so if you go back to what's the actual purpose what are the takeaways and keep that story consistent um you won't end up theoretically you won't end up with too many random pieces throughout because I do ramble a lot naturally I just do and so that's been for me a huge challenge is keeping that storyline consistent um I also say why are you presenting and if somebody says to me I'm presenting because I want to be cool or I I want everyone to think I'm amazing I don't think that I would be the best person to mentor them uh, because I don't think that's the best approach <laughs> um, and I, I imagine potentially I might butt heads a bit um, if you're saying I really want to share this passion or I want to learn this technology or I want to um, teach people about this thing then I'm happy then I'm then I know that I'm in the same mindset and it's easier for me um because it is it is I'm not saying it's easy to be a mentor um it is difficult um knowing exactly what to do and it is difficult you know making sure you do it in a proper way that's fair to every different type of person um it just you know it, and some people you don't necessarily connect with um and so knowing kind of what your both your goals are so that at the end you know you you can it's just like having a client project you go and you say well what success look like to you um or you know a mentor mentee what success look like to you because if you don't have that box to check you won't know if you've ever finished or whatever um and I think I think that comment everybody keeps saying about being nervous or being excited, it, to me, it's you're, you care. You really care about your audience. You really care about your mentee. And it's 100% no, normal to be nervous or normal, normal to have that uh, extra energy because you really want to ace it. And, you know, to do that um, in a way that's going to 
be good for you so when you say how do you think that went or how did that make you feel um you feel an achievement is preparing in a way that works um and then i i like to jot notes so i'm not actually anyway um um the other thing I like to ask is what types of talks are your favorite? You know, what, what speakers do you really like? And I find that's a really effective way because there's usually somebody, some big name out there that they're like, I really like their type of talks because it kind of helps me set in the mindset or in my mind, like put in frame the type of style they're looking for. Um, and if it doesn't align with me at all, I might watch that speaker a few times and see how they do it and before I do any mentoring or before I do the slide review um, because I think that that can be quite effective to understand this is from their mind this is what they're trying to achieve um, and again it goes because I mean I do make it clear you know this is my preference but um, but uh, you know I I, I do explain that comment that Claire says, I do explain why I say do this, this, and this, or I would advise doing this, but I also highlight when it is my preference versus this is just a, you know, you can't have size 10 font. Um, that is not a preference. That is, you can't have size 10 font. Um, but if it's like, I don't like that color, I might say that color stands, it's quite harsh on my eyes. However, that is my preference, you know? Um, that's a bad example because I don't think I've ever complained about color. Um, uh, and then the last one, uh, and this is one I definitely ask every every mentee I've ever talked to, is I said, what do you want to take away from this? You know, it goes back to what Claire said, um, is, um, you know, what what is your view of success, as I said, but also what do you need from me? And um, sometimes it's as simple as they want me to review their slides. And I love that because, you know, I like reviewing slides. I'm I'm also weird like Sam. <laughs> I like reviewing slides. They're, they're quite cool. And I get very excited to see other people's work and, you know, provide some insights, but also see how much they've put into it because you can see it. You can see their passion when they present or create these things. And um, and I'm really proud of them. So I'm, I'm really excited to do that. Um, but sometimes it's, I'm so terrified that I also need almost a bit of personal mentoring. I need a bit of confidence mentoring. I need you to reassure me that I'm doing a good job and I'm happy to do that. You know, I started out in a very bad place when I was quite a bit younger and I would have loved to have somebody just give me a bit of personal advice um but for some people they don't want that or they don't need that and that's totally okay but being able to set that tone before you start and knowing if you're maybe the right person for the job because not everybody gets on and knowing that um you know their boundaries and you know your boundaries and aligning that and making sure by the end you've checked those boxes and you both are happy and view it as successful yeah, I think the point about boundaries is also really important because I, particularly when I was working with college students, um, but also working with just like friends and colleagues, like they'll have certain things where they're like, hey, you know, when I'm really nervous, I stutter or uh, when I speak, I speak really quickly and there's nothing I can do about that. And so if you don't have that conversation in the beginning, you might give them constructive criticism on something that is a thing for them and that can can hurt that relationship so so boundary setting like zoe was saying is really important to make sure you're not you know falling into bad relationship mentor mentee on accident 
Thank you all. That was really great advice. Um, and I think with that, we'll wrap up the live session. It's been just over an hour and a half. So thank you all for uh, answering all of those questions. There's many more left, in fact. So um, I, once James stops the live stream, there 